Well, good day, folks, and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, the program that every week looks at the world of aviation from an Australia-Pacific point of view. Episode number 20, a tribute to Pip Borman. I'm Steve Fisher, and with me as always is my co-host and friend, Grant McHeron. G'day, mate. Hey, mate. How you doing? Very well, mate. Now, we've uh, we've had a bit of a road trip this weekend just past. That's right. We uh, jumped in the car because none of us are current to go flying. And we uh, fanged our way up the uh, the highway to about three hours north of Melbourne to a location known as Shepparton and uh, a little bit further on to uh, the town of Namurka. Namurka was uh, running the Show Us Your Wheels event on the Sunday, which is primarily for uh, rev heads and wheelies as it's all full of cars. But there's a couple of uh, air show demos of a p-51 replica helicopter handling and uh, matt hall flew in to do his famous aerobatics show and uh, the night before in namurka was a uh, dinner that was a tribute to pip borman pip used to uh, come and fly at the show us your wheels event all the time pip was based in shepparton so he's quite happy to fly out and do an aeros demonstration but uh, tragically uh, pip borman was killed in an accident earlier this year and this was the first show us your wheels that he had not been involved in so uh, matt hall was sitting in for him as the aerobatics guy and the dinner was uh, a uh, tribute to Pip Borman as well as a general uh, kickoff of the show. Yeah, Australia really did lose one of its absolute premier aerobatic display pilots in uh, February of uh, 2009. Uh, it was wonderful that uh, Matt Hawke had come down and I know he was uh, pretty touched uh, talking to him afterwards that they asked him to come down and uh, fly a, a display that Pip would normally have flown for this event, which he'd been doing for, uh, I think uh, they said the event's been running for about eight years, Grant. That's correct. Um, excellent. He put on a, a really a really great speech. Um, those of you who've listened to our show and the previous episodes where we've had Matt on would already know what a uh, just a natural speaker he is. And what you're going to hear here is just the uh, the audio of the, the speeches that were, that were made on the night. There's uh, three speakers in all. Matt Hall is the third one. Uh, we have David Fertile from Castrol Aviation. Uh, Castrol Aviation were uh, sponsors of Pit Bourne and his uh, and his aircraft and uh, Julian Frazier from QBE Insurance uh, who were also uh, sponsors of Pip Bormans and the MC for the night was Wes Cusworth and he's from uh, Wind Television up there in Shepparton so granted it was a pretty emotional night and you'll hear you'll hear some of that emotion come through in uh, in the in particularly in the first two speakers uh, they were obviously very close friends with Pip and uh, that yeah that really does show through in their speeches they're, they're great speeches a really fitting tribute to the man I think well uh, a little bit about Pip for those who don't know him uh Pip Borman was the consummate aerobatics display pilot. He would uh, actually do his display while talking to you over the radio, so you were getting in-cockpit communications. Uh, he would talk you through each maneuver he was doing. I uh, quite remember him at uh, Avalon Air Show. He would uh, go climbing up and then push forwards into a horizontal flat spin at the top and uh, generally say things like, oh, and looking around the bay once, twice, and back down we come, and things like that. And all this while pulling multiple Gs and throwing himself around the uh, around the sky so quite impressive he learnt to fly at a very early age in fact uh, some people remember him flying his aircraft into town to go for his driving test at the age of 16 tragically he lost his father in an, in an accident um, in a tiger moth uh, I believe it was he took over looking after the family at a very young age he wound up uh, in the automotive uh, smash repair business and uh, used that to help fund a lot of his flying but he was forever flying and loved his aerobatics and was definitely 
definitely giving back to the community again and again. He would do aerobatic shows for schools. He would do talks, presentations, you name it, he was doing it. Uh, quite the ambassador for aviation and aerobatics. So definitely a tragic loss with his accident. Yeah, absolutely, mate. The aircraft that uh, we were very accustomed to seeing him fly around all the various air shows that he would turn up to, the most notable of which I guess for us down here in Victoria would be the Avalon uh, air show, which is every second year. He uh, did all those displays in a uh, Zivco Edge 540. Uh, the aircraft uh, that he was practicing in at the time of his death was a Pitts Samson, a, uh, a really beefy looking muscle plane, a biplane. He was working up getting ready for Avalon Air Show. It was, it was going to be the debut of the Samson. He had been doing a lot of aerobatics and getting ready for it. He was They were doing a uh, photo shoot. They were either filming and or taking stills. He was at low level. There was a mechanical fault and the plane flew into the ground. Uh, he was unable to recover in time and... Uh, yeah, which is tragic. The Sam- the Samson is a design made by Pitts. It's an r- enormous radial with a biplane, small cockpit, definitely the muscle plane. And it's uh, it's very powerful and it was amazing the show it could put on. Uh, there is a video on YouTube if you search for Pitt Borman Samson, you'll see it. And uh, quite an amazing flying machine and very Unfortunate that there was a uh, some sort of fault and it led to his crash. Uh, very sad that he lost his life uh, in that in that aircraft. He was practicing uh, very very hard, we believe, on his routine for the Avalon Air Show. That's correct. At, yeah. At the time of his death, so I think Grant. Without much further ado, we'll uh, just launch into the audio that we recorded. Like we say, there's some uh, very very uh, emotional speeches coming up. We certainly hope that uh, for those of you who couldn't be there on the night, that you uh, appreciate uh, what these uh, people have got to say about Pip Woman. It's a really fitting tribute, uh, as I said earlier. Indeed, let's go for it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, good evening and welcome to the inaugural Dyson's IGA Show Us Your Wheels Gala Dinner. My name's Wes Cusworth from Wind Television News here in the Goulburn Valley and it's my pleasure to be your Master of Ceremonies for what should be a really terrifically entertaining and enjoyable evening. So thank you for coming along and being a part of it with a view to uh, obviously getting along and being a part of the Show Us Your Wheels event tomorrow. I'd like to welcome our number of people in particular, uh, Matt Hall from Matt Hall Racing, who's sitting down here at the front. He'll be speaking later, and no doubt he is a massive source of attraction tonight. We're so interested in hearing his story and what he's got to say about his experiences and also the tribute that he'll perform tomorrow. So, Matt, really looking forward to hearing what you've got to say. Janet and Sarah Borman are here today. We, we know that they are members of the Pip Borman's family, and part of tonight is the tribute to Pip Borman, and we welcome uh, Janet and Sarah... Uh, also, Julian Fraser from QBE Aviation Insurance is a guest. David Fertel from Castrol Aviation. And Russell Harbour from the Posty Bike Middle to Middle Challenge is going to be speaking to us a little bit later, and we welcome Russell. The Show Us Your Wheels crew in 2009 have ventured out to, and have presented what we really hope is going to be a great, new and entertaining evening, which, of course, is our gala dinner here this evening. One common factor with the Show Us Your Wheels in the previous seven years has been the magnificent entertainment provided by the late Pip Borman. This year, the entire Show Us Your Wheels weekend is in tribute to Pip. Pip was a true entertainer, and his aerobatics at Show Us Your Wheels will be sadly missed. We're going to take a few minutes right now to watch a fantastic clip in memory of Pip and his achievements and what he's done in the past at Show Us Your Wheels. Thank you very much. 
Okay, at this point, the uh, presentation just cut to a uh, short video uh, presentation of Pip Borman flying around in the uh, Samson aircraft. That video is actually available for download off YouTube. Just uh, pop onto YouTube there and uh, Google Pip Borman's name, and it's a uh, quite an entertaining piece. If you've uh, never seen Pip fly, have a quick look at that one. I highly recommend it, and it will show you just what a fantastically skilled aerobatics pilot this man was. So we'll just cut back now to the speech where it picked up. Ah, oh, that was great, wasn't it? Events such as this wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for the generous support of a number of sponsors and of course the major naming rights sponsor is Dyson's IGA and we really appreciate their support in terms of uh, helping the show us your wheels uh, exist again and exist for as long as it has. There's a number of other sponsors I'd like to make mention of. They're actually on the, the purple brochure on your table um, on the back and I won't go through them all but a couple in particular are Strathmerton Drilling, VACC, Shannon's, uh, DSK Waste Services, Ultimate Fasteners, Redback Exhaust Systems, Riverland Oil Seeds, Michelle Signs, ND Services, Burke Hire, Telegraph Hotel and the Moira Shire. And there's a number of other uh, supporters by way of sponsorship listed there too. Just a few other things about the Show Us Your Wheels event. It's a charity event that supports groups like Camp Quality, Juvenile Diabetes, Angel Flight, the State Emergency Service, the Country Fire Authority and many local clubs and groups with all money raised going back to very worthwhile charities. This will be the eighth year and from what started with approximately 150 entrants and 2,500 people has now grown to attract approximately 16,000 people as we'll see in action tomorrow and some 600 entrants. This is now a truly great event. And let me tell you, when I did it, I was up here a few weeks ago actually doing a story for Wind Television News with Adrian Ford, and Adrian made mention at the time of the fact that this event over time has put New Merca on the map. And that is so true because when it came time for me to actually let the other bureaus around Victoria know about this particular story that I was doing, there was such a level of interest from markets including Mildura, Albury, Ballarat, Gippsland, everywhere around the region knew about the Show Us Your Wheels event at New Merca and they were interested in taking that story. So if you're from one of those regions and you actually saw that on Win News, that's why, because of the, the profile of the event through people like Adrian and the great work that they've done. It has indeed put a place like New Merca on the map. Entrants travel from all over Australia to display their vehicles, their buses, their trucks, their bikes, their tractors and all sorts of cars. This year there'll be entrants from the Gold Coast, Adelaide, Sydney, all over Victoria and believe it or not, there's actually a car coming all the way from Perth, which is fantastic. So how many here have never seen or never been to a Show Us Your Wheels event before? I wonder if there's anyone here. There's a couple, there's a couple. See some hands. Well, we're actually going to take a quick look at some of the highlights from events past. So I trust that you, as the entrees are served, that you sit back, relax and enjoy the next bit of video footage that we're going to show. And that is some memories from the past seven years of the Newmerka Show Us Your Wheels event. Thank you very much, Bob. We'll continue with uh, the formal part of the evening. An important part of this evening is a tribute to Pip Borman. Um, as mentioned earlier, Pip has been an integral part of the Show Us Your Wheels since its inception eight years ago. There are many good friends of Pip's here tonight, including family, and we're sure that Everybody here would have some sort of recollection, some sort of story to tell of their time with Pip. This evening we have two gentlemen that are actually going to come forward and to pay tribute to Pip and his achievements. David Fertle from Castro, uh, Castro Aviation and Julian Frazier from QBE Aviation Insurance. Firstly, David, welcome to the microphone. 
Thanks, Wes. Thanks, everyone. Um, I've got to say I'm really honoured to be up here tonight to talk about Pip because there's people here in this room who have known him for a lot longer than I have. Uh, the relationship I've had with Pip extended back only five years, but certainly in that time we grew to be great mates. And um, as I said, it's an honour to be here to, to pay tribute to him. I guess it'd be fair to say most of us in our in our day-to-day -day jobs, um, you know, there's always good sides and bad sides to it. We have good days and bad days. And the thing that I really found that uh, impacted me when I was working with Pip is that all of a sudden those not so great days actually turned into be really good fun days. Um, he was a unique character. Um, probably, you know, a lot of you in the room know him, but for those of you who didn't, um, he was one out of the mould. And... Um, the, the relationship I had with him was uh, both a sponsorship arrangement, um, but it also grew to be a much stronger and deeper relationship, which you know was really just about two mates. And um, there's a lot of history between the two of us. Uh, I actually first met Pip uh, about 12 years ago, and at that time I was the regional sales manager for the Castrol Automotive business, and I was uh, in Shepparton for the first ever spring nats that Les Adams and the guys in, in Shepparton put together. And I'm standing here with Les watching this lunatic in this aeroplane gyrating around the sky doing some absolutely unbelievable things which I'd never seen before. And Les is nudging me, he goes, this guy wants to meet you. And I said, well, what for? He goes, well, he wants to take you for a ride in his aeroplane. <laughs> I said, not bloody likely. But um, suffice to say, um, I actually met Pip and he twisted my arm and he said, look, I'll fly down to Lilydale because, you know, living in Melbourne, Lilydale's nice and convenient. And he said, I'll take you for a ride. So I said, oh, OK, no worries. So met him down there and he said, uh, I've only got one rule when it comes to this aeroplane. He said, if you throw up in it, you clean it up. So he said, what do you want me to do? And I said, well, just do what you normally do and you know, I'm sure I'll be fine. I've never had any motion sickness previously. And he goes, yeah, the problem is most people say that, but the reality is once they start feeling sick, guess what? It's too late. It's going to be all over the aeroplane and you're going to be cleaning it up. I said, well, you know, I'll take my chances and see how it goes. And uh, so as I said, that was about 12 years ago. And uh, at that time, we couldn't do anything for him because Castrol didn't have an aviation product. And I told him that previously. He said, ah, oh, okay, well, you know, just come for a ride with me and see what we can do with it. Unfortunately, he didn't go, go anywhere. But um, things changed. And in the year 2000, BP bought Castrol globally. And as a Castrol employee, I then had a chance to apply for any job within BP. And at that time, Air BP, which is the aviation division of BP, had just posted a job for someone to look after their new Castrol aviation lubricant product. And I've gone, this is me. It's got my name all over it. And it's the only job which I've really, 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 really wanted to get. Other jobs I've applied for, it's like, oh, if I miss out on it, I miss out on it. But um, if I don't get it, well, you know, there'll be other things come along. But this one I really wanted. So anyway, I was very fortunate I got the job. And I actually had a fair bit of rain to spend some money on you know, what I thought was going to be great for marketing the product. And I thought, you know what, I think I know just the person to ring. So I rang Pip, just said, look, you know, it's David from Casserole or AirBP. Uh, I'd like to come and see you and talk to you about a sponsorship arrangement. And he said, all right, no worries. So I met him out of the hangar at Shepparton. And um, one of the things Pip actually as I found, to come, uh, found to, uh, to come by originally was that he's had a shocking memory for names. Probably a lot of people in the room here will remember that. 
And so I met him out at the hangar, and we, he's making coffee for me. We're just talking small talk. And he's finished making coffee, and he's handing me a coffee mug to me. And he goes, I know you. <laughs> and I said, well, as a matter of fact, you do. You actually took me for a ride in your pit special about seven years ago. And he goes, oh, no, how embarrassing. So anyway, cut a long story short, we entered into a sponsorship arrangement, which was uh, fantastic for us. I mean, Pip, without a doubt, is uh, a consummate professional uh, as far as aviators go. Um, he's, uh, he's so into the detail. Um, he's so into making sure that he promotes aviation and he'll take the time to talk to anyone who's interested in aviation about his plane, about what he does. He's so well recognised within the industry as being um, one of the leading aerobatic pilots. And at the same time, he was very humble. You know, it was amazing to go to all these air shows with Pip and, you know, young kids right through to, you know, experienced aviators right up to, you know, guys who've been in aviation for a long, long time. They all, you know, stood in line to, to talk to him. And the, the, the overwhelming thing that I noticed is that, you know, he didn't have tickets on himself. He, it was all about, you know, promoting aviation and he was so humble when it came to his ability. And, you know, Matt is, is probably best placed to talk about what it's like. But, you know, to, to see people do things in aeroplanes which us people with our feet firmly planted on the ground wouldn't believe to be possible... Um, you know, it's pretty awe-inspiring and it would be pretty easy to get a big head and you know, be overwhelmed by the whole scene, but he was never that way inclined. Um, he always had a really strong affinity for the man on the land as well. You know, Pip uh, and his family spent a lot of years at Chalachal um, doing their hard yards, um, things that city slickers like me wouldn't even have the slightest you know, chance to appreciate. And so... Whenever we went to air shows in country areas, you, you could tell he just connected with, with the people from the land. Um, what else about Pip? Uh, he, probably his razor wit. Uh, he had an absolute demon of a wit. His sense of humour was nearly perverted. Uh, at the same time, he didn't suffer, he didn't suffer fools. Um, his other ability, which I found extremely amusing after getting to know him pretty well, was that he had this innate ability to take the piss out of someone and they wouldn't even know it. <laughs> and it got to the point where I didn't trust him. You know, we'd be going somewhere in a car and I'd say something to me, to him and he'd look across at me and he'd, he'd give me this, really? And I'm thinking, is he taking the piss out of me or is he serious? But just, just little things like that will always stick in my mind. Um, and, you know, overall, uh, the time which I spent with him uh, was something which I'll cherish forever. Um, you know, we lost... The industry lost a great aviator, an absolute professional. Uh, we all lost a great mate. Um, but also Janet and Sears and, and Ed lost, you know, a, a husband and a father as well. So... Thank you for the chance to give you a little bit of an insight into Pip. Um, really miss him. You know, miss those daily phone calls that we used to have, just talking about bloke stuff and aeroplanes and racing cars and all the things he loved. 
So uh, I'll hand over to Jules now and he can talk a little bit about his experiences with PIP. Thanks, David, and uh, thanks for the opportunity to say a few words tonight. It's uh, great to be amongst so many of PIP's friends. There wouldn't be one person in this room who could have foreseen that tonight we'd be sitting here in these circumstances talking about PIP. Um, I've got to know a lot of the PIP's friends over the last seven or eight months, and uh, I've probably spent more time in Shepparton in that time than I have in the last 15 years, but, and um, I really feel warmly welcome amongst these people. Uh, Pip was an incredibly popular bloke, um, and I guess probably a lot of you were at the funeral, but there was estimates of you know, 2,000 people there, and I think that pretty much summed up the, the guy that he was. He was renowned for his, uh, as an aviator in, in our circles, but uh, you know, he, he was by no means one-dimensional, and his, his footprint was enormous throughout you know, this part of the world, and all of Australia, and he touched a lot of lives. I had an emotional day today. I was at Riddles Creek Airfield where um, the, some young mates of mine just took over the airfield because <coughs> another friend of mine that owned it died of prostate cancer. Um, <coughs> and, and Jace Harrison there's bought the edge from um, the estate, and as I was leaving, that was flowing. So. That was pretty humbling. Pip was an aviator, I guess that's what his reputation was built on and that took 40 odd years to craft. He grew up in Chalichal, as Dave said, up there at the back of Hay there and with his father Ted in the old 175 Romeo Foxtrot Kilo, he started to fly in his early teens. Soloed at 16, like a lot of country kids in airports, um, with airplanes, and gradually established himself into the um, aerobatic scene when he came to Shepparton and into the Wreckers, and got involved with the pit special from um, Bendigo and uh, old Murray Lennon. And from there he got into the, uh, what was that thing, the Pitts Falcon, November 540, Kenny Bravo, and... Um, I, I knew Pip at that time because I insured his aeroplanes and unfortunately I bought that aeroplane when the crankshaft broke over that cow paddock in Marupna and he ended up in the same paddock that he'd put the tiger moth in six months earlier. Uh, from there he sort of searched the world looking for the ideal aeroplane that suited his, his design and what he wanted to do. It was evident at that time that he was probably a world-class aviator and he was looking for an aeroplane that would match that sort of capability. He spent a lot of time, travelled to Russia, looked at the Sukhois and things and ended up selecting the Zivco Edge 540. Um, probably against the trend at the time and um, then spent, I don't know, five years or something, was it, getting that into... Um, sort of air show routine state with lots of practice. He used to fly three times a day, as many of you would know. And uh, wherever I go and you meet someone from Shepparton, they all, a lot of them didn't know him, but they certainly knew, <laughs> knew of his flying. And the people that didn't, didn't like his flying confessed that they missed him dreadfully now. So 
he also got onto the Samson thing about 10 years ago and had this grand design to own this immaculate aeroplane that was unique and what a magnificent thing it turned out to be 10 years later after half a million dollars and lots of blood, sweat and tears. And uh, I guess the, um, the events of 25th of February <coughs> saw the tragic loss of a magnificent man in a magnificent machine and sadly the people of Australia will never really witness that uh, Samson and I guess the world will never know what it was capable of. It was certainly well known through aviation as I said but I guess you guys here he was pretty much a Kari and uh, I've got to know a lot of his Kari mates, rev head, petrol heads, whatever they are and there seems to be a lot of them in this part of the world but uh, he was very comfortable amongst those sort of people. And I guess there was the common bond of machinery and power and smoke and speed but uh, I guess to that fastidious part of his nature if you'd ever been to his hangar and I'd never forget the first time I went there and there was carpet on the floor and his snap-on toolbox with $15,000 worth of tools everything was countersunk in that blue foam and it was just a you know it was a shrine to the man to his his nature his fastidious ways and I guess you know I see um, you know, some of the magnificent cars that are here and restorations and some of the boat people with their, uh, you know, the degree of detail and I guess Pip had a, a very strong chord amongst those circles, uh, which was a very um, dramatic departure from his day-to-day -day work at the uh, auto recyclers, so, which was a less illustrious, but it certainly paid the bills and probably did it in a, a cost-effective manner. Um, Pip's qualities, you know, other than his uh, nature, he loved people. He, he, sp he spent many years pretending to be indifferent and a loner in many ways and he didn't suffer fools. But I think deep down he did really love people and I think he did actually mellow a lot as he got older and he uh, had a lot of humour. He saw a lot of humour in everyday life. Um, and as David said, I, mean, I don't have anyone to tell Tiger Wood jokes to now because Pip's not around. But it was, every day was the first one on the phone or the email with the, the latest joke and uh, enjoyed lots of practical jokes. And that was uh, very well known around the airport at Shepparton, him and uh, old Barry. He had found um, time for everybody. He was very generous with his time and he was very generous generally. And as um, Greg said, you know, the first um, Show Us Your Wheels, he, he did that for nothing, did that on the house. Well, I can tell you, he did the school sports at St Ambrose at Woodend and I know he did them for Rudy down at uh, the uh, Longford Primary School or somewhere down there and probably lots of other places in between. And it, it was uh, his nature to do what he could. We used him a lot extensively in um, supporting aviation events around this part of the world and and the world at large. He really was a great Australian and he, <coughs> he was a magnificent ambassador for the Goulburn Valley and uh, a great friend to us all. I guess it's um, rather ironic that um, when Pip's candle went out in February, just shortly after that, Matt Hall's candle lit up the world. So um, it's funny how one door closes, another door opens, and um, we're delighted to be able to wish you well, Matt, for your uh, career and 
you've really put probably aviation in Australia on the map like no one else. So good luck to you. Well, I'd just like to um, thank you all again for having us here tonight and uh, celebrate with you the memory of the great Pip Borman and wish you well for your show of wheels. And on behalf of Sarah and um, um, Janet and the kids, just um, you know, thank everyone for the support to them over the last year. Thank you. I think we'd agree it's just wonderful to hear such heartfelt sentiments shared by both David and Julie, and let's thank them both again. Really fantastic, guys. We're going to have about a five-minute break, a chance to use the, uh, the restrooms or the bar or, or whatever you need to do, a bit of a chat, and then we're going to hear from our keynote speaker this evening, the, uh, well, the very entertaining, the very talented Matt Hall. He'll be coming up in about five minutes' time. Thank you. You're listening to Playing Crazy. This is Nigel Lamb for, uh, all the way out from uh, England, uh, enjoying uh, New South Wales and looking forward to seeing you all in uh, Perth in April 2010. At PCDU, we actively encourage participation from our audience. To leave a comment or suggestion, or for further information on how you can support the podcast, please visit our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Yeah, so there you go, Grant. There's a couple of uh, really fantastic speeches, as we said beforehand, and you can really tell, with uh, particularly with Julian Fraser, just how uh, emotional he was speaking through that and uh, watching him do the speech. There, he was he was really struggling to keep it all together there for a while. Um, you know, with his uh, with his emotions, they were obviously uh, very close friends. Yeah, yeah, he had known him for a while, so that does come through in his his speech. So those were a couple of memories of Pip, and uh, they they ran through the night. Following on from those, uh, we had Matt Hall giving his presentation uh, an overview of where he's come from and where he's going to. Uh, some of this you may have already heard parts of it in our previous two interviews with Matt, but there's a lot of really good new information here and, and supporting information that backs up what he'd been saying to us previously. So uh, definitely worth listening to the whole thing. So what we're going to do with this one here is just play it straight through. Matt did have a couple of uh, video presentations in there. Uh, we've just let those run and you'll see why because uh, Matt's actually explaining what he's doing while the video is running and uh, it, it was it's just fascinating. It's always great to hear Matt talk and, and the connection here is that of course he knew Pip Borman as well and uh, he actually describes him as a mentor at some point which you know it, it kind of blows your mind when you think about all the experiences that Matt's had that we've heard about before on previous episodes and uh, in fact you'll hear a bit more about during this speech so uh, let's uh, lead into this one it, it runs for about 30 minutes or so and uh, we'll talk to you on the other side yep I think uh, actually I think it is kind of good that that Matt did mention that because it proves that no matter how much you know you're always got room to learn more absolutely Ladies and gentlemen, if I could have your attention, if you could listen in very carefully, it's time to hear from our star attraction tonight in our keynote speaker in Matt Hall. Matt is now an Aussie legend in the aviation world and is quickly becoming a household name in Australia. Some amazing career achievements in the RAF, Royal Australian Air Force, and now in his latest venture in the Red Bull Air Racing events. This is the moment we've all been waiting for. Ladies and gentlemen, will you please put your hands together and join me in welcoming Matt Hall. Okay. 
Okay, I'm just going to press play on a quick video here, and you're going to have to put up with my computer skills throughout the evening. He's an Australian Top Gun instructor, a veteran. Well, that's working well so far, isn't it? But change the face of the Red Bull Race World Champion. He's an Australian Top Gun instructor, a veteran of Iraq. That changed the face of the Red Bull Air Race World Championships. Matoy will be the first rookie to climb onto the podium, surely. Now he heads for home, and Matoy has gone into second position. It will be a top three for the Aussie. Watch as history is made in the final stage of the Red Bull Air Race World Championships, Friday night on One. Now that's um, that's my intro. I reckon that's pretty damn cool. It's a TV ad. <laughs> Now, the reason I put that on is because um, hopefully throughout uh, this, this chat, you're going to realise that I'm, I'm just a normal guy. I'm just like uh, everyone else in this room. It's just that I happen to be able to do my hobby and, um, and people around the world actually take an interest in my hobby. So, so it's actually uh, a, a pretty cool place to be in. But have a think about it. So I'm just like you guys. And, and really, I am. I'm, uh, I'm a pretty humble guy. I didn't grow up with fame and fortune or anything like that. I just, uh, just work hard. You're sitting in the pub with your mates, and that pops onto the TV. And then you kind of look at each other, and you're like, well, that was kind of weird, wasn't it? <laughs> it is. You don't actually get used to that. So here we are. I will now put on my chat I have um, for you guys today. So. Um, why am I here? Uh, Adrian uh, Ford contacted me um, uh, in the middle of the year to, to ask if I could come here to do a flying display uh, in memorial for Pip. Pip, uh, yes, I did know Pip. Uh, he was a friend of mine. And, um, and then because of what I've been involved in, and I'm in motorsports and all that sort of stuff, um, asked if I could also do a talk here tonight, which uh, it's my pleasure to be here. I have never been here before, um, and, uh, and I, I am enjoying it. And just to make it, uh, you know, so I could fit into the groove a bit better, I actually went for a drive with Jason Bright yesterday in his V8 supercar. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm a motorhead from a couple of reasons now. Um, so I can get an idea of who I'm talking to. Um, first of all, it, who here is a pilot? Hands up if you're a pilot. Okay, so we've got, uh, we've got a few around here. Who here is a, is a local? Okay, so we have a lot of locals. Um, and who here, who is not a local, drove here up the road heading north? Okay, and you probably saw a small town um, just, just down here. Um, a, a funny story on the way, I flew here today, so I flew myself here in a plane, and um, for those of you who aren't pilots, um, a quick lesson on flying, um, there, there's a couple of quick lessons, one is uh, you, know, you push forward on the stick and the cows and the trees and houses get really big, that's a really quick lesson. Um, <laughs> that, that, that could save your life if you ever hear that call, is there a pilot on board, so keep that one, tuck it in, the, tuck it in your brain. Um, the other lesson is that when you're flying across country, um, I, I like the old style, so I still carry a map. I, I don't actually really use GPSs. I love map reading, so I have a map. But you keep it so that it, the, the track is up. So I'm coming here from the north, and I'm heading south. So my line's on the thing, and uh, you know, the map's upside down. And as a pilot, you, everyone does that, and you kind of get used to reading things upside down. So I'm coming to Nemurka, and I'm like, yeah, there's Nemurka. And then there's this town just above Nemurka that I'm reading upside down, and it's got lots of U's and N's all in different orders. 
and I can't figure out what this town is. I'm looking at it upside down going, oh, uh, uh, uh. no, I can't figure that. So I turn the map up the right way and I'm like, I still can't read it. <laughs> so that's my introduction to uh, coming here. But, um, but I found Shepparton and it was all good. <laughs> and it's, it looked like a fantastic place, actually. It, uh, very, I believe it had a population of 400 people. Is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was great. Um, right, moving right along. <laughs> um, okay, so um, who am I? Yeah, that, that, that really cool ad with the guy with the deep voice who I have no idea who he is pretty much said it. I'm, a, I'm an Air Force fighter pilot, just uh, recently retired, and now I race in the Red Bull Air Race. And we'll talk a little bit more about that um, as we go on. Um, as far as uh, what I want to do tonight, um, basically... I do quite a few talks these days, and, uh, and what, I'm try what I try and pass on to people is I, I pretty much just talk about you know, how I got to where I am, but what I'm really trying to capture with everybody is that I'm just a normal guy, and I'm really trying to motivate people from, you know, I do a lot of talks at schools as well, motivating people from this big you know, to, um, you know, to people that uh, have lived their life, or so they think, already, and, and just try and let people know that I'm not a special person. I'm, I've just been fortunate enough that I've had some opportunities, um, just you know, fleeting opportunities even, present themselves to me. And I've grabbed them and, and run with the ball. And, um, and, and, it, and it's worked. And it's really been finding a dream and, uh, and chasing it aggressively. And, and that whole theory that uh, anything is possible really, really actually uh, starts to, uh, to come true. So what, what, I, what we're going to talk about today, um, I'll, I'll hopefully knock it over in 30 minutes so I don't bore you too much, uh, is um, I'm going to talk about uh, you know, where I'm from and growing up and establishing my dreams. Um, becoming a fighter pilot and, uh, and, and what that involved and then um, into um, talking about, uh, you know, I went to war, I'm a combat pilot, I've uh, dropped bombs and been shot at, so f throw a few things there and then, and then how I changed my direction in life to end up um, having ads with deep voices. <laughs> there is more to Red Bull Air Race than that, but I just still think it's pretty cool. <laughs> so. First of all, um, where am I from? I'm actually uh, from um, the Newcastle region. Grew up, uh, grew up, you know, it, basically around Lake Macquarie. Um, I'm, I'm a third generation pilot. So when I was born, I guess there was two generations, and I wasn't. But uh, I became a third generation pilot. And um, my my grandfather was in the in World War Two, flying aircraft, and my father was um, a or is a uh, just a recreational pilot, so doesn't fly for a job or anything. And I ended up flying in planes since I was this big. And I, I'm pretty sure that was because he wanted to go flying on the weekends, and um, he also had to look after me. So it was just get in the plane, kid, and sit down, shut up, and I'd be having a spew bag out, no kidding, and vomiting. And he's like, "This is fun, isn't it?" <laughs> so I just I just got used to that. And going going for a fly on a plane, and even being sick in a plane to me was just like going for a drive in the family car and being sick in that. So I grew up around aviation and I'm very, I am very fortunate that that happened, but it, it wasn't expensive aviation. It was, um, you know, he, my dad was flying for free with towing gliders and things like that. So a normal life-ish, um, grew up in Newcastle, as I said, and, uh, and, and started flying gliders. And then I discovered that um, ultralights, they, they use almost as much fuel as this thing here. So uh, that was pretty cheap to, uh, to fly. And then I discovered hang gliders were even cheaper because I could just, you know, I was a 16-year-old and borrowed a hang glider, lug it to the top of a hill and jump off and fly for hours and uh, it didn't cost anything. So I basically learnt 
to fly in a very cheap fashion just because it was my passion. My sister bought stereos and records and, um, and I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I just went and bought petrol for the ultralight and uh, cruised around as a teenager. Um, I didn't see myself joining the Air Force. Um, I used to look at uh, fighters and, uh, and Ralph Petrich is down here. He was uh, one of the guys flying fighters when I was a kid at air shows. He's, he's really old now. He's this guy down here. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I used to go to air shows and I'd see these uh, fighters fly past and I'd, I'd watch these things and, and they, were, they were glamorous. They were, they were something like, you know, I used to watch um, Battlestar Galactica as a kid and these things were like the fighters from Battlestar Galactica and it wasn't as though there were people in it. You know, when you watch the F-111 fly over here, you don't actually think that there's two people in that. It's just a monster of an aircraft doing what it's doing and it's hard to actually think that there's a person in it. So I didn't actually think of joining the Air Force because it didn't occur to me that I could fly in those planes. And when I dabbled in the thoughts, people said to me, why would you, you know, you're a public school sort of guy, why would you be able to fly those planes? And I, and I kind of believed them. So I didn't want to join the Air Force because I didn't think it was possible. And then one day when I was just finishing school, I met an old man who was a fighter pilot. He was not, not Ralph. <laughs> and, uh, and he'd flown Spitfires in World War II. And um, I, I got talking with him, and I was just blown away. He, the stories he told, and the passion he had for life. And it, I, I was amazed by it. And, um, and then there was one thing he said to me that, just, that changed my life. He said, there's one thing I would change. And I'm like, wow, this guy's had it all. He's done everything. He's been there, done that. He's telling me these amazing stories. And there's one thing he's going to change. I wonder what that is. He said, the thing I would change is I would trade it all in right now so I could be in your shoes and do it all again. And I just thought, I I'm, I'm amazed at this guy and he wants to be me. So it was like a switch went off in my head. I went, you know what? I can do it and I'm going to do it. And I joined the Air Force. So yeah, it's, um, it, that, that was probably the statement that changed my life. So... I joined the Air Force, teenager, there I am, um, looking a bit younger, and uh, through, uh, I, I didn't go through any degrees or academy because I probably wasn't smart enough or motivated enough to pass, so I was fortunate enough that I joined, did my officer training down at uh, Point Cook, and then started flying within three months of joining the Air Force, which is pretty scary when you think about it. Um, off over to Perth, started flying PC-9s, graduated my wings as a teenager, and then I'm off and running. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to be the only guy on my pilot's course that is sent to fly jets. So uh, on to F-18s fairly soon thereafter. Once again, I was very fortunate as a fighter pilot that I, um, I had an 18-year career and I flew the whole time. So I didn't, have a, I didn't have a ground job. So everyone talks about the, ground, the dreaded ground job. I flew my entire 18-year career, which was, uh, which was a fantastic experience. I went through numerous squadrons um, on, uh, on tools, becoming a senior fighter pilot. I then went to our Top Gun school and uh, graduated as uh, a Top Gun fighter pilot, which then meant I was an instructor of, of both our Hornet people, Hornet pilots, and an instructor of the instructors, the whole Top Gun thing. You know, you're going back to Top Gun to instruct, all that sort of stuff. So that's where I found myself, and having a ball of a time. I knew what my future held. I have achieved what I wanted to do. I am a fighter pilot, and I'm going to continue to be a fighter pilot for the rest of my life. Uh, I put my hand up for what we call an exchange program, and I found myself living in America. And once again, just 
something I hadn't even dreamt of. And, um, and once again, the old man down the front here, he, is, he was actually the first guy in Australia to do this particular exchange. So uh, Ralph was um, the first Australian to fly this aircraft. I found myself living in America, flying the F-15E Strike Eagle for three years. And my job there was to instruct their pilots and uh, weapon systems officers. So quite a, quite a privileged place to be because um, you're on have the opportunity to live in someone else's country, I have the opportunity to fly a different type of aircraft, and I have the opportunity to be regarded in high enough um, esteem to instruct their pilots, which, which was um, you know, something to be very proud of. You do actually feel a bit like a rock star, because whenever you open your mouth, people go, oh, you're not from around here. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, no kidding. And um, you're really Australian? Do you have a pet kangaroo? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course I do. Um, so you, you are a little bit of a rock star. And, um, and, and, and to tell you the truth, Australian fighter pilots stack up very well on the international scene, so we could hold our head uh, very high above water when we're doing that. Um, I was over there between 2002 and 2004. I got uh, to America about three months after 9-11 occurred. The country was a bit of a, um, a disaster as far as organisation and direction was concerned. They had um, only recently had uh, their election for their president and they were struggling with how are they going to retaliate or defend or um, accept what had happened to them. Um, the result was that I found myself um, in a very unique situation. I'm living in America, flying American aircraft and American warplanes, um, still as an Australian officer. I still had Australian rank, still had Australia on my, sh on my shoulder, but my squadron is going to war. So what's going to happen? So it turned into a president to prime minister discussion to ask, can Matt come with us to lead the squadron in tactics? Because that was my primary purpose, was a tactics instructor. And uh, it got signed off. So all of a sudden, I found myself um, you know, uh, in, in um, the Middle East with a fighter squadron of, um, of American aircraft. And um, yeah, I ended up uh, employing weapons uh, in Iraq and uh, was the first person to do so, I think, since, um, oh, since Vietnam, as, um, I believe, to actually drop bombs in, uh, in anger. So um, yeah, I found myself in, in quite a, a bizarre situation. I was taking uh, rules of engagement from the President of the United States with a few caveats from the Prime Minister of Australia. So um, yeah, it was, it was, it was quite, quite an interesting position. That's a whole different topic to talk about. Um, there's a huge amount of stories about uh, you know, the good times, the bad times. Um, and uh, you know, we did lose a jet. I lost uh, two of my good friends who, um, who were, I was out there with them one night and uh, they, they were shot down. So um, there, there are some really, um, you know, some, some very emotional times in that. Bottom line is I uh, got some medals, came home and um, finished my tour in America and then uh, was back in Australia. Unique thing, well, funny thing, it's not unique, but uh, as I said, I grew up in Newcastle. I joined the Air Force to see the world, and I spent my entire career, apart from those three years, in Newcastle. So there I go, back to Newcastle again. <clears throat> okay, um, so how did all this become into um, you know, Red Bull Air Race? When I finished in America, I came back to Australia and was basically told, you 
can be the chief of the air force. You know, you've got you know you're you're a, you're a high achieving pilot. Um, you know, you've got the you know the, the image, the health, the fitness. Uh, you have been to combat. You are internationally known in uh, in air forces around the world. So you are we're, we're now moulding you to be the uh, chief of the air force in a number of years. So wow, I'm, I've got it made. That's what I'm going to do. But I wasn't sure that's what I wanted to do. Uh, going to combat did change my view in the world. Um, I then I was getting I got married as soon as I got back, and I had a little boy, and, and, and things just sort of changed for me how I was thinking. So I needed to I needed to actually have a serious think about what am I doing and how am I doing it. Now, when I was in America. I decided to get into sport aviation, and I started to do aerobatics uh, in that little white one, the one with the biplane there. I bought that little plane and started flopping around the sky and going to competitions and thought it was pretty cool, because you know, we're doing all this sort of stuff. And I thought I was pretty cool because I'm a fighter pilot and I always fly, also fly these. So my ego was a little bit bigger than, uh, you know, than my body was cashing, all those sort of good lines. And um, I met someone called Michael Goulian, who's um, an, American, um, an American display pilot, and he was sponsored. He, someone paid him money to go and fly these planes. I'm like, wow, that is so cool. Um, he thought it was cool that I got paid, paid to fly supersonic jet fighters, but yeah, I'm like, yeah, I do that every day. You get paid to fly these planes. And I said, I'm going back to Australia soon. I'm going to buy one of these planes and go back to Australia and go and talk to Mr. Castrol and say, hey, how about you pay me the money and I'll go and do all these things, flip, flippy things in the sky. That'd be really, really cool. And he goes, oh, but Someone in Australia has just signed a deal with Castrol and they've painted their plane up. I'm like, damn it, I wonder who that guy is. <laughs> yeah, we all know who that is. <clears throat> so anyway, I end up back in Australia in 2005. Um, I've just purchased um, that uh, yellow plane now, so I've got something and that's what you're going to see me fly tomorrow. Um, and um, I, I rock on down to the uh, Avalon Air Show. I'm not flying that particular year, 2005, and I've got my flying suit on and my Hornet patches. I'm feeling pretty cool because, you know, once again, I fly jet fighters, animals, I fly these. Surely that Castrol guy. So I find the Castrol tent, walk up and go, hi, my name's Matt Hall. You may have heard of me from, uh, anyway, didn't work. No one had a clue who I was. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, there's, there's this guy, he's a little bit thin on hair, and I'm um, like, I wonder who that guy is. And he jumps in the plane and takes off. I'm like, I'm much better looking than him. <laughs> and then I meet Dave, and, um, and then Pip comes back, and we have, we have a bit of a chat, and he's pretty busy, and he, he doesn't have too much, too much to say to me, which was very unusual <laughs> for Pip not to have much to say, because he's so busy. But... Um, we sort of it, were nice to each other, and, uh, and we left. And then um, at the end of that year... I was, I was trying to make a go of it. I've decided, I'm not sure the Air Force is for me, and I want to see if I can really get a sponsor and, 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 um, and do these aerobatics. And I thought, well, Castrol's taken, but the guy that's got that, this Pip guy, maybe, maybe he um, can, can help me out of, um, with, with how I can go about it. So I rang him out of the blue, it reintroduced myself, and then, wow, the floodgates opened, and that's when I discovered Pip. If you got him on the phone, you're like, your battery's beeping by the time he's hanging up because he could talk. And he, he, he just talked and talked and talked. And, and similar thing, I'm sitting there thinking, is this guy taking the piss out of me? <laughs> What's, he's just talking. He's talking and he's telling me all of his trade secrets. I'm like, There's, nah, no, he's telling me the wrong things. He's, he's, he's trying to give me a bum steer. And then, um, and then I discovered his son was joining the Air Force. And I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe he thinks I'm going to look after his son and teach him on a Hornet. 
But, um, but what I obviously discovered is Pip was just a really nice, enthusiastic guy, and he really, really and truly wanted to help me succeed in the business. So we became, we became good friends, and, um, and he mentored me on how to, um, how to do aerobatics. Um, so that was kind of how it was all going until um, I was asked by the Defence Force, it was a reasonably large mistake as it turns out, they asked me to take my squadron, I'm an exo of a fighter squadron at this stage, asked me to take my squadron to Perth because there's this event on there called the Red Bull Air Race and I think it's going to be a great place to do a Hornet demonstration and recruit heaps of people. I'm like, that sounds like a great idea. It backfired big time because I resigned. <laughs> I went there and um, I got to meet some of the pilots, including Michael Goulian, who had the Castrol sponsorship. He asked me how did that go. I, I just looked at the ground and drew circles with my big toe. Um, and uh, he sort of said, well, you know, you should, you should think about coming into this race thing because um, it's, um, it's pretty cool. Um, you're kind of what we, we, we think we need because you're young, you've got a lot of experience flying high-performance aircraft at low level, pushing the boundaries, and you also fly these types of planes. So I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not experienced enough to, to do it. And they go, I'll oh, have a think about it. And then um, next year they offer me some training and it started to work. Now, a question I often get is, um, what's it like you know, f between flying a fighter and flying one of these aerobatic planes? So a quick video. I've got uh, something put together which shows a little bit of flying inside a Hornet and you can see some low-level stuff and then the flip side when I'm flying my aerobatics. Now this was made a long time ago so you're gonna have to excuse my um, the Velcro strap under my um, headset and I didn't really have the best equipment back then so it's a little bit embarrassing but um, still you'll get the uh, you'll get the right idea. <laughs> kilometers an hour you can see how much the wings move um, you can see them flexing uh, you can see the air being torn off the wings there there's my little velcro strap it's pretty cool <laughs> and this is the aircraft I'll be flying tomorrow uh, this plane has about the fastest roll rate in the world at the moment it's about 500 degrees a second so a little bit, little bit faster than Pip's Edge, but not as much power as Pip's Edge. And there's those wings again. You can see all the, that's just air being torn apart um, on uh, basically forming clouds on the wings. But they're very, it's actually quite aggressive inside the cockpit. Um, quite rough you can, and quite busy. You can see how much I'm working there. Um, and my wingman's out there as well. You'll see, you'll see him uh, pass behind me in a moment. The thing to notice is how low we are and how fast the ground's moving, which obviously is quite an advantage for me in the Red Bull Air Race. Okay, and uh, lastly, back to the aerobatics, just so you can see some of the forces that are put on the body. Um, especially in the last scene, you'll see uh, some some negative G, and uh, just have a look at the. Uh, the pressure that's building up in my, my head. So this is, this is what's called a tumble. So you'll see this tomorrow as well. Basically making the plane go end over end. You saw Pip doing some of that on his video. And then this here, looking at the blood pressure building up, especially in my neck, of just how it's all just starting to really push up into my head there. <laughs> okay, that's enough of that.
Oh, it gets better. Uh-oh. So that's me transitioning. So what happens is I'm, I'm asked to go over and do some training in Spain. So I trained in Spain for about uh, a year. Um, in, in a six-month period, I did eight return trips to Spain in economy. Uh, we remortgaged the house to get the money to do it. I took six months long service leave from the Air Force on half pay. Um, it cost us about $100,000 in personal money to do this training. Um, and we sort of painted ourselves into a, a little bit of a corner, but it's, we, it was my new dream. So uh, we went for it. And my, my wife was the one that suggested we should chase the dream. So um, hats off to her. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> And uh, yeah, she's, she's supported me the whole time. And I find myself going from these grey aircraft with a green flying suit to being Mr. Anonymous to all of a sudden wearing these really bright flying suits standing on stages in this really bright plane in the middle of a city trying to see how many people can look at me. So quite, quite an interesting situation to, uh, to be in. So here we are. We end up in the Red Bull Air Race. So um, a, a couple of quick things about it. Um, first of all, what is it? Uh, I don't assume anyone knows what the Red Bull Air Race is uh, in, uh, yet. I think, it's, I think it's going to develop into a much bigger sport over the next number of years. Um, it did start off as an extreme um, sport that was a demonstration sport. It's now a professional motor racing sport. Uh, and it's where we race planes at low level in and around pylons in the middle of a city and uh, it's against the clock. The person with the lowest time after penalties are added is the winner of the race. Um, where is it held? This year we raced in Abu Dhabi, San Diego, Windsor, Detroit, Budapest, Porto in Portugal and Barcelona. Only six races this year because of the uh, economic times. Uh, next year we're planning on ten races all around the world. Um, some footage. Now you've seen, you've seen some footage out there so far today, um, what I'm going to show you here, I'll just get it set up as we're sitting here, okay, so this is the um, Budapest race. Now the big thing about the Budapest race is I had to fly under a bridge, and as you can see there, it's not a really high bridge, it was nine metres from the water to the, to the bridge. And I think every pilot here, there was about you know, 20 hands that went up, I think every pilot goes, one day I want to fly under a bridge, that would be so cool. And I was one of those guys, and I was thinking something like the Sydney Harbour Bridge, <laughs> not a nine metre bridge over the Danube River. So it's like first bridge, nine metres, Danube, really big steel bridge, you know, don't hit it because it's going to win. Um, <laughs> but have a go, see what happens. Uh, people ask me how did I fly under the bridge the first time. Not looking at the bridge is the answer. <laughs> I'm really good at low flying, so I went, I can low fly. I dropped down into the river and I flew 1.2 metres. They measured it because they went, geez, he was bloody low. So I dropped down to 1.2 metres and like put my fingers in my ears and like la 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 la. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and I pulled up. So that's how I got under the bridge the first time. Pretty cool, huh? As I said, I'm just a normal guy doing this going, what am I doing? Okay, so here is the race at Barcelona. So, I'll talk you through it. Under the bridge, start, the clock is running. We run into the first gates here, not very wide. Into the second one, it's pretty much a straight run, and then boom, over to Parliament House. This is a knife edge gate, 10 metres apart. Got to go through that with wings vertical. Into the next gate, and then uh, into the first vertical turn. 12G, 12 times force of gravity to this turn here. Diving back down. You can see I, I screwed that across to the side so I could go straight through that one. There's the crowd just over there. Another knife edge gate. Reversing back for a level gate. So, boom, just drop the wings and then back into another vertical turn. So, this, I've been through these gates before. Another vertical pull here. Another 12G turn. 
and back down. We're only getting to 250 feet in these manoeuvres. Back down, through the gate, and then boom, we're back into it. Straight over, another knife edge gate. In the race, I actually get a penalty on that one uh, for not being vertical there. And then into our last vertical turn. This one I'll take almost vertical because of the exit angle I want. So once again, another 12G. At this stage, I'm puffing pretty hard. Dive very aggressively down to the track. Squat it up there, and then there's Parliament House. Boom, knife edge. Come through this one. I've got two gates to go. I've got one gate. Just don't hit it. Here you go. Oh, I finished. And you go, uh-oh, bridge. <laughs> <laughs> and you pull up. <laughs> so that... It's pretty easy. It's only about a minute and 15 seconds I work for. So it's, a, it's, it's very cool. Now... Um, the plane I'm racing, uh, it's called an MXSR, it's a complete carbon fibre aircraft, it's uh, very similar, uh, you probably recognise the colour scheme, I like those colours, um, and uh, it's very similar to, my, uh, to the plane I'm flying tomorrow, but just, it's a bit stronger, and it's got a lot more power, and it's got a lot of speed mods, so this plane can cruise at uh, well over 400 kilometres an hour, um, it's, it's going to have about 350 horsepower in it next year. Um, it only weighs 510 kilos. So when you think of just you know, car sort of things, 510 kilos with 350 horsepower, it's actually got a lot of acceleration. And to give you an idea, um, the V8 supercar that I drove with Jason Bright accelerated at about the same rate as my race plane. So very aggressive type of aircraft. The big things that this aircraft does that... Um, no other plane in the world or no other piece of machinery in the world can do that has human beings on board is it rolls at you know, 400 degrees a second, straight line speed at 235 knots. It's the G, 14G. There's no, other air, there's no other piece of machinery in the world at the moment apart from a centrifuge that can pull that amount of G with a human being on board. So we are right, these are the most manoeuvrable machines in the world that a human being is in. And if you watch this thing on TV, you watch it live and it's a factor of three of how exciting it is because you just don't appreciate what it's like to see something turn at 12G until you witness it with your own eyes and you physically can't believe that there was a person in that plane. I'll be travelling at 400 kilometres an hour. So think of seeing a car doing 400 kilometres an hour and you know, Formula One, if they can get that fast, and I can do a 270 degree turn in six seconds. So you have a think about seeing that and, just, and then come back straight at you. Okay? Extremely manoeuvrable. Now... What does that do to my body? <laughs> I don't know. I've only been doing it a year. <laughs> Talk to me in five. Um, okay, so 12G, that's the big thing there. Um, now, I've told a few people, so don't answer. Who, who, what do you think my heart rate is when I'm racing? Throw some ideas. 180? A bit over 200 when I'm racing. And it's purely because of the G. Because I'm passing... I, I'm, I, if I did nothing, I'd pass out. The average person passes out at about 4G. So I'm going to 12. So all the blood is trying to get into my, my legs. Um, my head weighs about 5 kilos normally, so at 5G, 60 kilos. Or if I was an army guy, probably 90 or 100 kilos. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> Any army guys? <laughs> um, and I have to have really good cardiovascular health. And it's very... Particular, I can't exercise too much because my blood pressure and my heart rate drops and that's bad for maintaining consciousness when I'm flying. Same, same, I've got to have the stamina to have my, have my heart be able to do that for a minute and 20 seconds. 
So I have to be fit enough, but not too fit. A lot of individual weight training. I was telling the guys before, I can't bulk up because I need very quick reflexes, but I need strength. So we've got to go down to the gym, and there's guys, they're, they're, they're benching, you know, a lot. And I'm sitting there with these one, one kilo dumbbells, and, and I work on my forearms, so you've got to, to work your forearms, you've got to hold your hand like that and hold it in your fingertips. So I'm there going... Yeah, the fame and the fortune. Love it. <laughs> okay, so once again, a quick video to show you a video looking, a, a camera looking at me while I'm training um, in North Carolina. Okay, so this is training in North Carolina. It's a, uh, a low-level training area I have overhead the runway, and I'll talk you through it. Okay, so I'm down at 30 feet, knife edge, and I'm just going to start flying a simulated course here, knife edge. Back the other way. A lot of concentration, but you can see how aggressively it rolls. Now, here we go. 12G. Watch this. 12G. 12G. Sitting there. Trying to stay conscious. Bam. Out. Go back into a few more turns. You can see that was a little bit under, but you can see how fast this plane is manoeuvring and how aggressive if I have to stop the rolls. And here we go. 12G again. Boom. And this is the vertical turn. There we go. I'm upside down, rolling away again, and then diving back at the ground. And then boom, capture it, back to knife edge. Straight back down the runway, knife edge the other way, and then we'll just stop it straight after the next 12G turn. Here it comes again, and roll, bam, 12G. You can see I'm now starting to really puff. I'm starting to work hard. Back to knife edge. Okay, so that's, uh, that's what's happening in, uh, in the cockpit when I'm flying. So yeah, hard work. Okay, so nearly done. Um, Long-term effects? Not sure. Um, I must admit I'm healthier now than I was in the Air Force. Um, I, do have, I do have spinal injuries from being in the Air Force, flying fighters that long. Uh, my neck is not too bad, but I have uh, some disc protrusions down the back. Um, for those of you who have medical experience, I actually got what was called uh, foot drop, where I lost, um, through the sciatic nerve, lost control of my leg at one stage about three years ago. I couldn't lift my leg up anymore. And uh, I was basically uh, had, a, had to have emergency surgery in a day's time, and, but with a series of injections, was able to get myself out of that. And, uh, and now I'm uh, actually quite healthy. And I think it's because with this sort of flying, I'm strapped in so tight that once I'm in, I, your, your spine's very strong. But in a fighter, I'm strapped in, I'm strapped in very loose. And I'm, I'm turning a lot when I'm pulling G, looking for the other aircraft. So um, my health is actually improving, which is, which is a good thing. I'm, I'm hoping it's going to continue to do that. Um, my wife took that because she thought it's funny that I've got a man massaging me when we're racing. <laughs> She's got a sense of humour. <laughs> um, I think that's why she comes to all the races, actually, just so she can laugh at me at times. Now, what we have is I also have a G-suit. That's a very common question. They go, you pull that much G and you don't have a G-suit. Well, we actually do have a G-suit, only started this year, and it's what's called a hydrostatic suit. So it's uh, latest technology. I'm involved in a sport which is very aggressive in technology development, and this suit is a fluid suit. It's full, it's full of water channels. So that as I pull G, the water runs down the suit and and because water's not compressible, when it all gets to the bottom, there's a lot of pressure down there. So what is compressible down the bottom? Little old me. So it squeezes my body, and it stops the blood from pooling down there. 
My feet get a pretty good workout because it's not on my feet, so it's just strangling my feet, and I get bruised feet from that. Um, but it, it helps to keep me conscious. So uh, it's, that's actually pretty cool that we're involved in, in, um, in technology that's leading edge like that. And we put it in the fridge, no kidding. We've, we've got a little Red Bull fridge. They give us a, a fridge full of Red Bull. And on, when we're racing, all the Red Bull comes out and the G-suit goes in there. We cool it down so the water's nice and cool and keeps me... It's like a, just a, a cooling suit. Um, but you can see the G-suit I used to wear in the military compared to what I wear now. It's kind of, once again, weird that, yeah, that's, that's how I dress these days. It's, yeah, it still freaks me out too. Okay, mental training, just quickly. Uh, I, I actually now have a sports psychologist. I am an athlete, and that's something I had to get my head around as well. I'm an elite athlete that competes on the world scene, so not a demonstration pilot anymore. I actually compete in a world championship and seem to do reasonably well at it. So uh, it's important that I stay in the zone uh, with my sports psychologist and, and really focus in on me when I need to so one, I'm safe, and two, I can do what I've got to do. Okay, so uh, last slide here. Um, where am I now? Pretty good year for me, actually. Um, I set out this year with no result goals. Definitely a, a goal of being safe. My measure of safe is that my wife never came up to me and slapped me. <laughs> so after every race, Hey, honey, if she was going, that was fantastic. It was like, oh, yes, another race successful. And I was. So she never, she never got angry about anything I did that was unsafe. Um, as it turned out, just doing that and trying to fly professionally and, um, and being an Australian sort of guy and representing Australia, I ended up coming third in the championship as well, which was, uh, which was I was very proud of myself for achieving that. What that's done is it's reduced the number of opportunities I've got to do better. I've only got two places I can move up. Sometimes I wish, geez, if I had to come 10th as a rookie, people still would have gone, that was pretty good for a rookie, and I would have all this wiggle room to, uh, to climb up the ladder. So, yeah, I've really put the spotlight on myself. But I have a new plane being built at the moment, custom built. It's going to be lighter and faster, and I've modified it. If some of you have listened to some of the uh, podcasts I've done with these guys sitting in the corner... You've probably heard that I designed the new plane on a bar napkin and gave it to the factory and said, can you build this? And they looked at it and went, oh, we'll give it a go. So they do all the engineering. I just come up with the weird ideas. Um, I've got a new team um, through a number of reasons, and I've got new goals. But safety is still my primary goal because there's not, no point doing it if I'm injuring myself or worse, and there's no point doing it if my wife starts slapping me. <laughs> Okay, we have a few sponsors lined up, which is good. So uh, we're starting to get somewhere with some, some extra support, which is going to help my sport within Australia develop. Um, so we're very excited about that to start representing some, uh, some sponsors. And uh, world champion, I would love to be the world champion. So I'm going to give it my best shot to be an Australian pilot as a world champion. Stay humble, stay me, come to these things, talk to school kids, talk to schools, and just let everyone know you don't have to be privileged to do really well. So that's my story. Hopefully you've got something out of it. I'll now uh, open it up for questions. I told you that would be entertaining. It was fascinating, wasn't it? Absolutely fantastic. But what an invitation. Couple of questions. One up the front. Thanks. What's the scariest moment you've had in aviation? And second question, what's more challenging, Red Bull Air Race or fast jets? 
Um, the scariest thing I've had in aviation, uh, I've only been scared once in a plane. I've had lots of scary things. I've, I've had a near miss with two Hornets, so where we missed by two feet head on. So a bit over about 1,500 kilometres now closing and missed by two feet on my head. But I wasn't scared because I didn't know it was about to happen. <laughs> Same, same, I, um, I nearly hit the ground as a young fighter pilot doing strafe, air-to-ground strafe, and um, the competitive side got to me, I got target fixation, and um, when I realised I was near the ground, max G recovery, missed the ground by 14 feet. Once again, I was too young and stupid to get scared. Um, the, the, time, the only time I've been scared was in Iraq. Um, I got shot at by a missile, which came pretty close to me. I, was, um, I, I actually decided... I have no more control of this situation. It's either going to hit or miss. I was doing everything I could and it kept coming and, um, and luckily it missed. That wasn't scary. It was the fact that then we went over here, dropped some bombs, ran out of fuel and went, I've got to go back. And, um, and that's when I got scared. It was like, I've been lucky once tonight. I've now just gone and stirred up this, uh, this hornet's nest and made everyone really, really mad with me. And now I've got to go back to this place. They, they nearly killed me. That was, that's the scariest thing I've ever had happen in a plane. And scare is, fear is only ever about worrying about the future. Once you're in the situation, you're never scared. They didn't shoot at me that time, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and secondly was, uh, what's harder, Air Force or racing? Um, it depends what you're doing. Uh, dropping, dropping bombs on people is very hard because it's, um, that's a psychological difficulty. Um, Physically, the racing is harder. Uh, it's harder on my body, um, and it is harder to get right as well because um, the, the margins are so slim for staying safe in altitude and also getting no penalties to get through those pilots, or between them, not through them, I've done that a few times, but get between them um, accurately without a penalty. Uh, the margins are very, very slim. Um, do, do I expect the race to come to Melbourne? Um, I think the, the race is in Perth next year, for those that didn't know, in, uh, in April. Um, so come along and support me, plug, <laughs> matthorracing.com, have a look. Um, the, um, will the race come to the East Coast, for example, It was probably a, a better way to look at it. I think it will. Um, there's some politics involved at the moment for keeping the race in Perth. Um, it was initially approached to go into Sydney and Melbourne area, but it was seen as a demonstration extreme sport when the first approaches were made, which at the time it probably was more like that. Now it's a professional motor racing sport. They are definitely trying to get back into the East Coast, just that Perth signed a reasonably good and long contract to keep the race over there. I think if, for example, either Melbourne, you know, have it at St Kilda there, or you have it in uh, Sydney Harbour, definitely fit. You know, you saw what I was racing in in Budapest, in the Danube, so Sydney Harbour's massive for it. I, I, I truly believe if we had a race in one of those locations, we'd crack a million people uh, live, um, you know, to come out and watch that, because it is visually spectacular. I don't think they'd race in... To have two races in Australia, but then again they might. They have uh, two races in, uh, in the US at times, but typically they move it, they want to go all around the world to different countries. Um, how does hitting the pylons impact the aircraft? Very hard. <laughs> um, in the, the pylons, they're very, very well built. They're, they're built out of a, uh, like a, 
very, very thin material at the top. <laughs> it's very technical of me. And like a jumping castle down the bottom. So if you hit it down the bottom, it's really bad news. Steve Jones hit one down there and it tore, nearly tore his wheels off. Um, you hit it at the top and you don't even know. And it's like everyone's rolled up a straw and flicked it and the straw explodes and it just tears apart. It's the same principle. The air is it's, it's such pressure in there that if, if you just nick it with your wingtip, and believe me, I've nicked it. I've you know, come back and I've got like a mark this far off the edge of my wingtip and the whole top blows off. And you see these photos of the pylon's still intact and it's completely severed and there's another half sitting there in, in air. And, it, and, and you don't feel it, you just hear it. It sounds like a shotgun going off next to your head. Okay, how do I psychologically prepare for a race and what's the, the best thing I've learnt from my sports psychologist? Uh, basically, what I discovered was I was getting really nervous before a race and that was affecting uh, my performance. And um, what I learnt was I, I was getting more nervous to go and race than I was when I was going to combat and getting shot at. And my, my coach and my sports psychologist are going, that's pretty stupid, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen here? You're going to hit a pile on and you're going to come last. Big deal. And went, you're right. And, and what I discovered was that for the Air Force side of things, I had very disciplined routines. I'd get up in the morning, I'd have a shave, I'd put on my uniform, I'd go to work, would have a morning brief, would, would then plan the mission, brief the mission, step out to the jet, start on time. Everything was, was boom, boom, boom. And as I said earlier, fear is only something you have when you are worried about the future. So if you're busy... You're never scared, and everyone knows that. You know, when you're really busy and you're doing something that's taking your concentration, you're never scared. You're never worried about what's going to happen later on because you're concentrating on what you're doing now. So that's what I discovered, and that's the biggest, biggest thing I learned from my sports psychologist, is stay busy in what you're doing right now and let the results take care of themselves when you get there. So what I do now is I have a routine that I follow uh, every day, very strict of what time I get up, you know, how I dress, what I'm doing. And then I'll have a relaxation period, but by the clock, 77 minutes before I take off, it starts, boom. And I'm doing things by the clock, and I'm watching the clock, okay, time to do this, time to do that, until I'm in the aircraft, and all of a sudden I'm in, I'm, I'm in the racetrack, and I haven't had a chance to think about the race, so I'm not nervous. And avoiding those nerves means that I then enter the track going, this is easy, all I've got to do is a minute and 20 seconds fly around this track, this is going to be fun. Versus initially I was like, oh, I hope I don't mess this up. Last one, yep. Yeah, well, how, how, do, uh, how do we uh, deal with it physically? Uh, it's actually very, very physically demanding, um, you know, with the heart rate going up and down like that. Just getting in and out of the plane with that G-suit on, it's very bulky. Um, and we do it in very hot locations, you know, racing in the Middle East. Um, so... It is a challenge, um, and especially on race day, we'll fly, it depends on how well you go, you can fly up to four times in an hour and a half, and it ends up being a sprint. You, you come back, uh, often I've actually sat in the plane and not got out when I've, um, when I've flown again because it's just go, 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 and um, I lose about two kilos in the cockpit um, on race day, so uh, I sweat a heap, but I, I drink about four litres, and I still lose two kilos, so it's, uh, it's, it's very physically demanding. What it means is that I'm an absolute cheap drunk. I, 
I meet my wife up after the race. She's she's drinking wines, going, "That was great. I have one beer, and I'm just on the on the floor." But uh, yeah, it's it, it is very physically demanding, and uh, I am a cheap drunk these days. That's it. Thank you. Well, that was very, very enjoyable, Matt. Congratulations on all that you've achieved so far, and we wish you all the very best for the future. We, I'm sure that everybody here will follow the Red Bull Air Racing with a great deal of interest, won't they, in the future, now knowing Matt Hall. Let's thank him again. And so there you have it, folks. Um, like we said, that's some stuff you've heard from Matt before on uh, previous editions of this show, but it's always fascinating to hear it again. Grant, uh, I was talking to Matt after that speech and was just talking to him about how often that he has to do these sort of promotional speeches. And, you know, he said to me that uh, they don't make him do any of this, they being his sponsors or the Red Bull Air Race or whatever. Uh, he just likes to, to get out and, and do this sort of stuff in the community. And um, it really, and you really do pick this up through this speech that he sees himself not so much as an aviation speaker, but more as a motivational speaker and uh, you can really sort of pick up that theme listening to that presentation that he put on on uh, Saturday night. Yeah indeed he uh, he's really big on setting goals and uh, keeping yourself motivated and following them and it's it's really been great for both of us just having our chats that we've had with him uh, he's helped just discussing things with him has helped us I, I know from what we've discussed offline that uh, just the discussions we've had with them have, have helped us focus on what the heck we're trying to do with uh, the podcast and with ourselves and our flying and so on. It's, it's been great. As most listeners would know, I've been sort of struggling to get back into the air myself. And, uh, you know, listening to motivational speeches, the likes of which you just heard there, you know, it, it really does inspire you to to really look at things from a different angle. So, And I would really say to some of our younger listeners, we, we know we have a number of young uh, aspiring pilots, you know, some of them looking at uh, going into the Air Force perhaps or into the airlines. Uh, you, you know, if that's your goal, and then you should really uh, take on board what Matt has said in, in this speech and others. And in fact, you know, go back and listen to it a few times for the, you know, and just really pick up that energy and that drive and see what he did. Not all of us are going to make it into the, uh, you know, into a fighter jet, but that doesn't really matter. You just keep striving for that goal. And if you work hard enough, you know, you'll, you'll get the result. That's right. That's right. The first step is figuring out what you want. The next step is breaking that into chunks that build on each other towards that goal and then start working on the, those chunks one bite at a time. And even looking at, uh, you know, this is obviously uh, not a show about Matt Hall, it's a show about Pip Borman, but Pip Borman obviously was someone who was very aggressive also in chasing his goals and chasing his dreams and, and really sort of let nothing stand in, in his way. And, um, you know, it was tragic that his life was cut short, but boy, what a life. He's got up there and, and done what he wanted to do and we've all been the benefactors of, uh, of all that, that effort and hard work that he's put in with the uh, you know just the fantastic airmanship that he displayed to us over all those years indeed so anyway folks uh, we'll just leave it there for for this week this was uh, just a special one like uh, we said we we traveled up we did we did the big road trip in the pcdu mobile otherwise known as my weather beaten ford falcon <laughs> yeah it was a great run up and uh, hanging out and it was the first pcdu road trip and there may be a few more. Hopefully, the next few will be uh, done in the air as opposed to on the ground. It's always a little faster. Yeah, I'm working on uh, that, mate. I'm working on it. <laughs> Keep it going, man. I got to do the same anyhow. But yeah. uh, it was interesting on the way back. We dropped into Mangalore and uh, we hung out there for a little bit, having a chat with a couple of pilots, a student pilot and instructor who were doing a cross country from Moorabbin. And yeah, we're pretty sure they beat us back a heck of a lot earlier than it took us to get back. But that's the joys of flying versus trolling along on the ground. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a great experience 
going up and hang out at Namurka and meeting all the people and listening to the speeches, attending the dinner. And then we spent all day Sunday just hanging out at Shepparton Airport. And that was great. Uh, very impressed with Shepparton Airport. It's a great little place to hang out. Uh, certainly, we had a lot more movements and activity this Sunday than is normal. But uh, apparently, they, they run a uh, lunch every Saturday. So uh, if you want to do a fly into Shepparton, if you're in the area, maybe consider calling ahead and asking if the uh, if the lunch is on. I'm pretty sure it's every Saturday. Uh, definitely worth going there. There's a lot of really nice people at Shepparton and, and all, all the people there took a lot of time to have a chat with us and show us around and help us feel comfortable there. So thanks, Shepparton. It was great. Yeah, we really do owe them a great thanks for their hospitality. We probably spent, what, three or four hours there, Grant, and, you know, we just sort of showed up out of the blue and said, here we are, and started handing out uh, business cards and things. And, uh, yeah, they were um, they were very tolerant of us, and uh, no, they were very, very <laughs> welcoming, and uh, even invited us back for their lunch. So uh, given the given the size of me, it's a wonder they did that, but <laughs> they may, uh, they they, may they live they to probably... regret that, Grant. Yeah, they, they probably purchase in bulk and, and know that if you're flying, well, hey, you got a weight and balance limitation. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, folks, we really hope that you, uh, you know, gain something out of uh, this uh, this presentation that we put on for you this evening. Show notes, as always, can be found on our website, Grant, at www.plainecrazydownunder.com. That's correct. And you can also follow us on our Facebook fan page, that being Playing Crazy Down Under on the uh, on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter, where we're PCDU. And if you really want, you can uh, check out our blogs. Steve's at ozfly.blogspot.com and I'm blog.flymefriendly.com. And yes, I've been slack. I've been hassled by a number of people, including David Optimal. Hi, David. I haven't uh, updated my blog in a while. I've got four stories pending. I've just got to pull my finger out and make time and do them in around everything else that I'm trying to squeeze into my life. If you'd like to send us feedback, folks, and we hope we've, uh, we think we'll probably pick up a few uh, new listeners to the show uh, out of uh, this episode um, with all the business cards we handed out. We certainly hope we have. If you'd <laughs> like to uh, send us some suggestions for uh, people that, uh, you know, or subjects that you'd like covered on the show, our email address is playingcrazydownunder at gmail.com. We really encourage people to uh, participate in this. This is an online community that we're trying to create here. And so uh, please feel free to participate. We, uh, we love hearing from you and we do like to read out some listener mail if and when we get it. Yep, always great to get the mail and uh, let people know what our uh, listeners are doing. And of course, folks, you've probably listened to many other aviation podcasts around the world. And of course, they all have their fancy taglines. Uh, Grant, have we got one? Oh, I think we do, mate. I think we do have and, a little phrase. And, and what would that be? It's what's down under that counts. You got it. Cheers, folks. See you next week. Catch you later, all. folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with, although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks.